In this Garner Talks, Robert talks to Rand Fishkin. Rand is the co-founder and CEO of Spark Toro. He's dedicated his professional life to helping people do better marketing through his blogging, videos, speaking, and his book, Lost and Founder. In 2004, he created SEO Moz Blog, which over the next decade became the world's most popular community and content resource for search marketeers. In 2018, Rand founded Spark Toro and published his book, Lost and Founder. Robert and Rand spend an hour discussing the state of play for digital and Rand's insight into how to run a successful agency, along with taking questions from other digital agency leaders. Rand gives his open and honest opinion on everything digital in this must-watch interview. Hello and a really big welcome to the Guide Talks. Uh, and today I am absolutely delighted to have what can only be described, who can only be described as a legend in his own lifetime, which is Rand Fishkin. Those of you who don't know Rand, you have to read the book. You have to read the book Lost and Founder, which is one of my favorites. I buy it, the book by the dozen and give it away to clients. Uh, and um, so Lost and Founder, Moz, uh, Spark Toro, these are the things that he's famous for. But without further ado, let me introduce you to the legend in his own lifetime, Mr. Rand Fishkin. Hello, Rand. Hi, Robert. Thanks for having me. It's it's absolutely fantastic. I guess the starting point, the starting point for those, if there are people in the agency world who don't know who you are, if that's possible, would you just like to just give us a quick kind of intro background sort of paragraph on on where you've come from and what you've done? Sure. Yeah. The, the short version is that I uh, dropped out of college and started working with my mom, Jillian, doing web design uh, and then started a small, very small SEO consulting agency uh, out of the ashes of that business. That became a, a very popular blog called SEO Moz and then later shortened to Moz, which raised some venture capital, became a software company. Um, you know, uh, today is tens of thousands of customers and somewhere around $50 million in revenue. Uh, I was CEO for, you know, a lot of that high growth period for Moz, stepped down from that role uh, and left the company a few years later and started this one, Spark Toro, which is not venture backed, um, certainly has aspirations to, to grow, but not in the same ways and fashions. I, um, after having experienced a, a lot of the ins and outs of it, I'm no longer a fan. In fact, I think many folks would call me a, a harsh critic of, um, well, of two worlds, really. One of Google and the way that they participate in uh, the macroeconomic picture around the world and also the monopoly of search and also of venture capital, which, of course, Google was a venture-backed company itself. And, um, and I have worked with and led and raised venture and pitched lots of VC. Um, and I think I think both of those ecosystems are are pretty broken, and that there are better ways to do things while still being a staunch capitalist. I'm sure we're going to get into all of that. I've got a bunch of questions from uh, our, our community, and I yeah, you know, and I think there is a you know a real issue about you know how people work with Google and how they feel about working with Google. But but before we get on to that piece, we'll just, just look, a couple of questions I like to ask you. I mean the there's 
there's this kind of myth, and I love it. You say identical thing in the book, you know, that you, the American, we call it the American dream over here, which is kitchen table, dining room table, garage, industrial unit. And then along comes this, this big multinational, you know, with a check for $100 million, richer than your wildest dreams, and everything's perfect. Um, do you see any kind of holes or flaws in that kind of debate about or discussion or, or journey that we're all meant to go along? Well, so I, I think there's a bunch of a bunch of weird, hard to stomach things and and potentially some really serious ethical flaws in the in the whole structure, right? The whole concept behind it. So Robert, I, I don't know I don't I don't actually know what what your experience has been like, but but mine um, has been one where, you know, my um, my income has fluctuated quite a bit. I, I made the most that I've ever made as a salaried employee of Moz. Um, but the, you know, the stock that I had there is still illiquid. It's still held. I, I don't know if it'll ever be worth anything someday. Right. But, um, in the book, you've got this wonderful graph, which has got, a. um, an employee developer, standard developer growth, and he starts off at like $100,000 and he's just going dot, yeah. dot, dot, dot. And then there's your income that's going, wee, Yeah, and that's, that's exactly right, right? And I think one of the odd things to realize as a startup founder is, you know, you can build a company that's, that's worth, you know, 100 million, 200 million, 500 million dollars and still be making less than, much of your senior employees be making less than, you know, an engineer at Microsoft or Google or Amazon or Facebook. Uh, and that, that is an odd thing. I think that most people don't realize many of my agency friends, for example, are much wealthier than my wife and I am just by virtue of having had a profitable business for a long time with five employees or 10 or 20. Um, and that, that always, I think, surprises them when they, when they realize like, wait, Rand, you led a company of 200 people and you raised $30 million of venture and Moz was doing $50 million a year every year and spitting off 5 million cash. What do you mean you don't have money for you know, that, that kind of thing? So I think that those are um, oddities to realize and understand. Another thing that's very strange about the whole you know, American dream and then this, this sort of new dream of startup sale is it is... Um, it is very, I think, difficult in the moment to reflect on your individual impact on an ecosystem, right? As, as a, an individual building one company. But when you look at the broader picture and you see that almost all these new technologies and exciting companies and innovations are being picked up and acquired rather than staying independent for, for the long term, you get the sense, oh, wait a minute, there is a lot of marketplace innovation that is being lost because the big four or five tech giants don't want competition. And that's, that's exactly what's happening, right? Google is essentially stifling competition in space after space. It's really hard to imagine a world where Google didn't own Google Maps, where there weren't five or six or 10 or 20 different players in the maps space, right? In the, in the world of local information and mapping technology and all these different things. Instead, we have one major player and one sort of half indie player, right? Um, 
in 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 social media you've got facebook and then a bunch of almost rands right your your tiktoks and twitters uh and that sort of thing in phones you just have google and apple um it's it's weird so so you know google started with do no evil and then there was and then they discovered revenue from advertising uh and that seemed to be in public markets sorry I, th I think i think they really uh, so i don't think the i don't think the don't be evil was shifted when they discovered advertising so much as it was shifted when they went public right and once once they had uh public market investors who demanded and who essentially compensated their executives and their their team based on growth performance quarter over quarter and short-term revenue, Google became a short-term revenue focused company, right? So they killed a lot of their exciting long-term moonshot projects and they focused on, hey, how do we gobble up sector after sector and enter all these different spaces, compete with marketers and SEOs and, you know, uh, and websites and use our monopoly power to unfairly compete in new sectors. Not, not so great. Right. And do, you, and do you think that that I mean, that's what you go to. <laughs> we went haha, to, to business school to do an MBA to discover how to do that kind of stuff. I'm not saying I why. Well, I agree. I'm not, I'm not saying I approve of it. It's like whatever happened, whatever happened to running a, a great small business with great people that, that you do great stuff that you love and you enjoy and you sleep well at night and you're not going to get a brick put through your window. You know, so I'm not saying that's. I'm not a great having done the business school thing. Uh, I'm not saying I approve of it. I, I wonder whether that is, is. Do you think it's possible to run a large corporate um, and be good? Because it's almost like there's a. a I was told a, a, a client of mine told me about the great bell curve they've invented. There's like a bell curve, and on the very left, it's like really cool people, but not making loads of money. And then it goes up to this perfect point where we're really cool and we're making really good money. And then the bell curve goes back down to it. We're making ridiculous amounts of money and we're being, we're monetizing things very efficiently. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And he said, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a tipping point where, where you cease to be nice and you start to be just a money machine. And 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 what you're, I mean, I, I guess one. Do you think there's a, there's the there's this place where you can make really good money? Capitalism, you know, make money, do good for people, look after your people without simply chasing the goal of increasing shareholders' earnings year on year. 